You are listening to The Emulsion Podcast, a show that informs and inspires the restaurant industry to work, live, and create better. My name is Justin Kana. I'm a chef and media producer with almost 10 years of experience in award-winning restaurants all over the world. I created this show as a way to give back, to inspire the next generation, and help you progress your career. The Emulsion Podcast is sponsored by you folks, and Patreon is where that happens. If you're here as a return listener and enjoyed the episode you just came from and happen to want to support more episodes, visit patreon.com slash Justin Kana. I'd really appreciate it if you can. I totally understand if you can't. Free ways you can support this show include leaving a like or comment on this episode, filling up all five stars on iTunes so more people can find us, or simply sharing an episode with a friend. This is a solo episode. That's right, it's just you and me. I'll be dishing up a curated list of articles, happenings, and headlines that I've been paying attention to over the past few days, and then season them with my perspective and opinion on these industry stories. If you want to go deeper, full show notes are available on justinkana.com slash podcast. If you come across a story you'd like me to talk about, shoot it to me on Twitter and hashtag the emulsion so I can find it. Let's get ready to welcome your host for this episode, Justin Kana. What is up, folks? Welcome to the show. I'm Justin Kana, of course. I'm so glad you joined. I'm so glad to be back. I'm wanting to revamp that intro on YouTube. Um, For those of you, like the intro in general, I want to have some video to go along with it. I want it to be a little bit snappier. I want it to cut to the point. Kind of trying to find the balance between making sure that that provides all the knowledge that you need to have context for the show. If you're the first, if it's the first time you've ever listened to it. Uh, But at the same time, making sure that I'm not doing a two minute long intro at the start of every show. I'm very aware that there's other podcasters who do like really long reads and uh, ad spots and all this stuff that is a little bit uh, not so relevant. So it's not that I, I, I want to trim it down. I want to be cognizant of your time and it's something that I'm working on. So just let it be known that that's something that I'm working on. This is episode 81 of the Emulsion Podcast. This is a little out of order. Normally, this should be a interview show. The current episode that I'm editing is a bit of a large one. It's with uh, Mareko Maumasi. He is knife maker extraordinaire, of course, but I've actively made the decision. I miss you folks. It, it, it's, it's been too long. I, I've been absolutely swamped in between cooking with Voyager's Table and consulting for a startup here in Seattle that's doing really, really exciting packaged food, not to mention my own events, of course, and then my personal life that's gone through a bit of a roller coaster these past few weeks. Both my parents' health isn't going that well. I will spare you any of those details, but all the basics too, right? Like I don't want my relationship with Anna to go south and my health is very, very important to me. So the YouTube content has kind of taken a little bit of a back seat for the past few weeks. So here's what's in the pipeline. I want to keep you updated and most of all, give you some things to look forward to because the last thing that I want is for you to think that I've stopped making videos or that I'm getting bored with this whole YouTube thing. It's actually quite the opposite. So I'm learning a lot. I want to pass that along to you. That's the 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 purpose of all of this, right? Between getting to travel and cook for the executive team of Microsoft or like I'm cooking for the governor next month or working with local nonprofits, all of this stuff is totally foreign to me, right? And in the past... Uh, I would cook at at the same restaurant every single night. And if the governor came in, that's awesome. They're sitting at table 23. And what did they order, right? I'm actively disrupting myself through this whole process. And then 
it through that process, I'm really, really uh, putting myself in these uncomfortable situations where I don't feel like I know anything. And then I'm really forced to adapt and use my current skills while also gaining new ones. And it's really, really stimulating for me. So what that means for you is that I'm finally getting a breadth of knowledge outside of just restaurants. And I'm learning more of the logistical side, the business side, and I'm improving my managerial skills. And so whether it's a coaching call you book or a free video that you watch me make uh, here on YouTube or on Instagram in 10 months time, whenever that time is, I really, really think that's going to bring value. So it's like a double-edged sword where it's like, I wish I had more time to produce content, but at the same time, I know that I'm investing in myself, which is then going to make the content later on better, if that makes sense. On the startup side, I'm learning a lot about talking to investors and exchanging equity for money or time and negotiating contracts with partners and how to scale from doing like 100 units a day to 4,000 units a day. Uh, it's more or less a real world crash course in modern business and entrepreneurship. And there's definitely talk of my consulting role changing into a full-time position, uh, but I've signed enough NDAs to where I can't really disclose any of that at the moment. But what I can tell you is that I really look forward to sharing any of those trials and tribulations in the show here, like literally creating a segment of the show that talks about uh, some of those problems where it's like, here is a problem that we had, here was the plan, here's how the plan manifested, and then this is what the actual solution. I think that can be a really cool segment of the show. I don't think it will... Uh, like it won't make itself into a video every single time, but I really think there's value in sharing what I can share uh, in like a full saga. Does that make sense? Where it's not like I come on the podcast and I bitch about my problems, but I tell you uh, the story of how we had this thing that we had to deal with and it got resolved. Do you know what I mean? where it's an actual story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. I think there's value there. So uh, stay tuned. If you have any, um, you know, anything that you want to sound off on of anything that I just talked about, please at me on Twitter, or most of you just DM me on Instagram anyways, even though I always tell you to, <laughs> to reach out to me on Twitter. It is what it is. What is it with chefs and Twitter? I don't understand. Uh, you might be wondering also, Justin, how are you going to keep being a solo YouTuber with all of this other stuff going on? And you'd be totally sane to ask that question. I'm not entirely sure that I have a sane answer for you yet, but I have a officially scheduled shoot day with a dear friend of mine who is going to help me shoot. At least I hope so, if things go well. Um, and she's also going to help me possibly edit the videos. So we're going to test the waters with that and see if a relationship is going to work well, not just for me, but for her as well. So if that goes well, I will finally, finally, finally have someone to assist with production, which means cooler products for reviews and better production quality on interview podcasts, especially. And of course, DOD coming back, burr, 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 air horn. I need an air horn. I need a sound bar is what I really need. Um, and in the past, I've, of course, been really hesitant to make that move, right? My, my videos don't make a lot of money on their own. And as much as I'm grateful for you folks and the support that you give on Patreon, it isn't enough to pay a talented videographer in Seattle what I would want to pay them. But instead of complaining in that way, with all of the hustling that I'm doing outside of the content right now, I'm personally good, right? Like I'm good financially myself. I can afford to essentially go in with you folks to help, to pay, um, to invest 
essentially in this personal brand as much as you are. So for the time being, I will be putting my own hard-earned money to work to make sure that you can still get free videos every single week on this channel. Um, as things grow, as more people are able to support, we will see what happens, but that's the current state of affairs right now, and I'm the biggest fan ever of being super transparent. And as I mentioned before, by subscribing to me, to this show, it's a promise that you make, and I want to make sure that I deliver on the expectations that I set for you folks. So the past few weeks have been a little rocky to say the least, but I wanted to keep you updated on the fact that this is me taking two steps back to then take seven steps forward and time will tell how that manifests itself. But I'm excited. Aren't you excited? Leave a like if you're excited. Let us first start with some headlines. The, shall we? Tyler Florence, a chef who has been in the news for his documentary lately, as well as the TV series that he does all the time here in the US, had his Twitter hacked. Yes, the chef was, quote, giving away 5,000 Bitcoin to all community, end quote. Sign me up, question mark. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Stone Notebooks, the company that has still yet to get back to me about partnering on a video, has announced that they're going to venture outside of just blank pages and create their own, quote, mini magazine, end quote. The plan is to fill it with chef stories, beautiful photos, etc. And after my video all about Fool magazine that I published a couple weeks ago, you folks know I'll be checking this out as soon as it drops, especially if they're putting some of that sweet, sweet Kickstarter money behind it. I got two bits to share about John Shields that I want to um, dive a little bit deeper into. He's, of course, the head chef and co-owner of Smith and the Loyalist in Chicago. He posted on his Instagram that he's looking for a head chef at Smith. And when he posted that, he clarified that he would not be looking for a chef de cuisine role. I'm, I'm quoting from him, quote, these two terms are morphed together all too often these days. And in the end of the day, I am and will always be the chef de cuisine. But if this person can learn to grow with us and embrace our sensibility, I would certainly welcome all ideas, technique, and creativity, end quote. And when I first read that, my first question was, what's the difference? Of course, the way that he makes it sound, chef de cuisine is higher than head chef, if that makes sense. Like, why would he hire someone uh, above him in the brigade if he's the owner? But I've certainly worked at places where the chef de cuisine reports to the head chef, which is also, in my head, like the executive chef. Um, makes me question everything. Although I don't think it's out of the ordinary to hire someone that would be above you as like an operations and managing and accounting expert. That totally makes sense if John Shields wants to be the guy that's in the kitchen left to his own devices with the cuisine, chef de cuisine, if that makes sense. Um, I was just interested to see that kind of a post in general. It totally shows the reach of a platform like Instagram. Uh, the dude has incredible reach, and with the way that the internet is, even if you don't directly see it, maybe you could have two degrees of separation, which would then get you your next job. And I don't think that's something that I grew up with in any in any way. Uh, I, I just thought it was really, really interesting. So speaking of Smith as well, another post uh, that was not on their Instagram, on, on Michelin Guide's Instagram, uh, that I thought I wanted to chat about a little a little bit here because it was it blew up in, in an interesting way. They did a pretty cheeky post with one of uh, Smith's recent dishes, uh, and the internet exploded to say the least. I, I need to explain this to you if you're just listening. It is a dish from Smith of a matsutake mushroom glazed in burnt birch wood oil, and they serve it sliced with these little whittled birch branches so they look like tiny little skewers and you skewer the mushroom and you eat it so 
It's very Nordic. It's kind of a really woodsy presentation. But Michelin posted the photo saying, quote, what do you think about these twig utensils with a question mark and then an exclamation point? So they're like really trying to get people riled up. Like it's this is a big question. Uh, anyways, and so the comment section is super, super interesting to look at, right? Uh, some people saying this is pretentious. How expensive is that dish? That's a stupid use of flavors. You can't just, can't you just serve it with a fork? The worst comments in, in, in this comment section and people don't ask any questions or put any of it into context. They're literally like hand sharpened little tiny whittled branches made from a component that's actually in the dish. And of course, for, for, Every probably three negative comments, there was like the one person who actually understood the context of the dish and they were like trying to defend John Shields. But um, the, people don't understand that you get nine other dishes in that tasting menu. And I'm saying all of this because I would like to think that some of you are level-headed enough to understand some of this stuff. But uh, of course, there's the people that I want to make sure they, they know that there is context when they see these things. Like if you're just starting off in the industry, you don't have to serve every single dish with a hand whittled tiny birch thing um but i just thought it was really funny because john shields actually got in the comment section and was like looking at people's instagrams and critiquing their pasta and like talking smack he snapped it was crazy but uh yeah just check it out if you haven't seen it it's a really funny comment section i came for the comment section is how i'd like to word that story in funny YouTube news, Thrillist released a video on behalf of their Henry's Kitchen series called 100 Tips to Make Better Pasta, and it's just a really nice break from any serious cooking shows you've probably been watching on the internet with all the chef's table and salt, fat, acid, heat that you've probably been watching. It's just a really hilarious uh, spoof. I put it in the show notes so you can check it out. I really love cooking content that's made for the internet keeping in mind that the internet is the internet, as opposed to taking TV cooking shows and putting it on the internet. I really, really enjoyed that video. My favorite food photographer, Ulterior Epicure, has shared his latest travel adventure. This one is not for the faint of heart. He did a full expedition through Greenland. They went hunting in the wilderness, and for all of you that are big into the backwoods or Nordic stuff or bringing down your own animal and then preparing it, style stories, this one is definitely worth checking out. It is linked up in the show notes for you. Nixon, a company that I had a watch from way back in the day when I was a teenager, I think I got it as a Christmas gift, they have a watch that one of you brought to my attention. It is called the Regulus, and it is insanely attractive. It has endorsement from the Navy SEALs, it's built like a G-Shock, but the aesthetic is just a little bit different. And I reached out to Nixon on Instagram, they confirmed that they were not doing any partnerships or collaborations at the moment, so I might just bite the bullet and cop one of these myself and test it and see if it fits the bill of potentially replacing my G-Shock. I know that would uh, that's a very high order to request, but I think it could do it. Maybe. It looks really, really dope. Um, the alternative is, of course, if you're listening to this and you check out this watch, and it, again, it's called the Regulus from Nixon, and if you want to see me review it, slide into Nixon's DMs and be like, let Justin review this, and we'll see if they send me one, question mark. Let's see. Let's see if that happens. But that has been your daily dose of headlines. What's up, Faint Mike on Instagram? Uh, today's beverage is one that I'm obsessed with. I think I threw the package away so I can't see it. I did a dinner a couple of weeks ago where I needed to do non-alcoholic pairings. So I was buying all of like the flavored tea. Cause this was like 
with four days notice, they wanted non-alcoholic pairings. So I went and got a bunch of teas, like really interesting uh, herbal and uh, just traditional tea that I steeped and then mixed, some of them I mixed with fruit juices or different flavored sparkling waters to make non-alcoholic pairings because a lot of the guests were either pregnant or like had kids at home. And so I found one that is from Tazo. It is a like wild orange tea with like lemongrass in it and it is insane it is so good i will attempt to link it down low uh if i find it but it's acidic and really bright and it's really good for quenching any of that um i i really like single origin coffees because they have an element of acid to them and i feel like that's why i like drinking them all the freaking time especially when i'm uh doing the show here so i like this as an alternative because it provides the acid that I crave while not giving me the caffeine to keep me up all night. So enjoying that quite a bit. Shout out to Hafdan Klufden, the newest supporter on Patreon. Always super, super happy to give a shout out here on the show and say thank you for your support. If you're interested in supporting the show, keeping it ad-free, you can do so for just $1 a month. If you want to have a little fun with it, you can have, I have my buy me a beer tier at just $9. That is less than $2.50 a week. And unfortunately, the mentor tier is full. I'm very, very excited to see that happen. I will definitely keep you updated here if and when slots open up. But for now, those 10 folks, are they get my undivided attention, which is where I'm comfortable keeping it as I attempt to juggle all the other balls in my life. So stay tuned for that. The first industry story uh, today is all about Maemo. In Norway, my friend Anders Husa, the Scandinavian food blogger extraordinaire, has all the gossip about Nordic restaurants, and he dropped the news the other day that Maemo is moving locations. Yes, the three Michelin-starred Norwegian restaurant is staying in Oslo, but they're relocating to Bispevika. My Norwegian is so rusty in February of 2020. And as far as the reasoning behind the move, Chef Esben saying, quote, in order to succeed, we must never stop developing. We are now at the point where we have to challenge ourselves again and take a new step forward, end quote. And this is an interesting move for me to hear about because not having eaten at Mayamo, uh, I haven't had a meal there, but I've seen the space enough to know that they aren't scrapping along, right? Like they aren't they aren't struggling. They, they are working in one of the higher end kitchens in the world. And I've certainly heard about some of the issues that they have of like having a fridge on a different floor than the kitchen. And that causes some problems. And I'm also pretty sure that there's a staircase that separates the kitchen from the dining room. But I wish there would have been more honest conversation in this news drop, right? For someone like me, who's interested in all these business logistics and and all these other questions that I have, none of it got answered. It was just this very like high-end hoity-toity talk of like, we want to push ourselves and be more creative and whatever. Like I would have liked something along the lines of like, we really want to increase the number of seats so we can drive more revenue or like we want to add a facility that helps R&D happen or like our staff needs more space to function or whatever that is. It just seems like there was like there's enough there's obviously enough bankroll behind this project to make a refresh happen and even though you and I are both aware that those little things that you hated about the original kitchen always get hashed out and fixed with the 2.0 version I was really hoping to hear more business or people-focused reasoning behind the move as opposed to we want to push ourselves and, and have more creativity. Definitely stay tuned. I will most likely cover it again once it reopens in about 18 months. 
Next up, I have to talk about this crazy master sommelier fraud story. The wine uh, com released an article all about a scandal involving their master sommelier exam that happened recently. Apparently, one of the masters leaked information about what wines were included in a blind tasting flight to a candidate before they went in for their tasting, essentially tainting the validity of the results. So the person in question is named Regino Narito Jr., and from my understanding of the article, 20 24 people were awarded the Master Som title. 23 of them got stripped of that title because of this discrepancy. And the Court of Master Soms uh, is giving everyone the opportunity to retest with all the fees waived. They're going to pay for their travel to come out and take the test again. But it doesn't seem like that's enough, though. As some of you might know, the testing and studying and preparation to become a Master Som is intensely rigorous. And one of the candidates is actually quoted in saying, quote, I will probably be one of the candidates who will not retake the exam. I know this is not the intent, but I feel like a martyr. I am embarrassed, though I did nothing wrong. I want to find a different industry to work in. I want this to be over, end quote. Like, that's so depressing. That's so heartbreaking. Like, you spend all this time, all this energy learning, and then you get to the end of the road and something happens. I mean, it's like those classic stories in the Olympics, right? Where something happens that uh, totally botches the whole thing. I think that's crazy. And as far as my opinion on this, I side with the candidates. It's going to be heart it's got to be heartbreaking to go through all that work. And this one guy who was awarded the title back in 2005, that's when this uh, Regino guy got his master som, someone who knows how hard you've been working to either make it like the the fact that he wanted to like make it easy for someone or boost his ego in saying that he's helping the next generation, it's just disrespectful to the merit of the whole thing. And it's frustrating to see the reputation of something that's so prestigious attempt to be tarnished, right? So overall, as disheartening as it is to see that happen, I'm super happy that the court is stripping everybody and then retesting, right? Because the last thing that you want is to be known as part of that group of 24 people that got credited in that rogue fraud case, right? People would hang that over your head forever, and you that's the last thing that you want. And to be known uh, as the people who took it again and then passed again, that's just like you can flaunt that for the rest of your career. You can be like, yeah, you're a master song, but I passed twice, right? So I think the one step back for two steps forward is worth it in the long haul of these people's careers, even though it sucks to see something like that happen. Next up, a story that is insanely true to the ethos of this show, The Emulsion, taking things that aren't supposed to mix and combining them together. David Chang tweeted an article from the ringer.com saying that there was some that there was indeed some crossover with this sports story and food. So I had to dive deeper, of course. And after reading it, I totally see it. And the article is called, the, sh- the quote, the, sh- the scheme war is over, end quote. And the subtitle is, quote, the most famous play from the most recent Super Bowl originated in high school and trickled up to college before making it into the pros. The number one pick in the 2018 draft was a spread quarterback, and the Chiefs have taken the NFL by storm by embracing concepts from Texas Tech. The football world is now flat, end quote. To say that I'm a sports nerd is a complete lie. I will root for the Packers when they're playing, and I love watching the World Cup and the Olympics, but I'm in no way a hardcore jock. So I'm going to attempt to stay in my lane here, talk about the the chef side, the restaurant side, but the, the article is effectively saying that with the resources that are available to colleges and even high school athletes, and then of course the NFL can watch high schoolers play through the internet, uh, and then coaches in the forms of like footage and analysis and data and backlogs of high performers' careers. It's creating a new kind of athlete and a new kind of sports team. 
And I think that's a fascinating discussion to talk about with food. So I'm going to do my best to connect those dots here and then, of course, share my thoughts. So back in the day, cooking was one of those things that you had to spend time to learn, right? It literally was a trade. And a lot of times you had to travel to specific places to learn those skills. It was very similar to football, right? Like you had to put in those hours on the field and understand game dynamics and put yourself in situations where experience outweighs planned execution in the form of like a defensive player and offensive play, right? And I think over time, with food especially, the world got smaller, right? You can essentially have really good Italian food in Japan now, and you can have really good French food in Brazil, and you can have really good ramen here in the U.S., which then leads to the next question, how do you judge? How do you say that one thing is quote-unquote better or quote-unquote worse than something else? Is there value in someone that lives 6,000 miles away from where that thing originated seeing a dish on Instagram and then copying it and putting it in their restaurant? Are they technically saving you a plane ticket by serving that food closer to home? Are they a fraud? Does it make sense to completely ignore all this information and work in a bubble? Like, should you not be on Instagram? Should you not understand what other people are doing? I think it's a fascinating discussion and one that I don't think has a super clear-cut answer right now. We talk a lot on this show every year about the World's 50 Best List, an organization that's literally doing its damnedest to quantify and rank all these really high-level cooking uh, establishments that are happening all over the world, and it is intensely criticized because it's so corrupt, right? And then there's, of course, the next generation, the folks that are deciding, hmm, why do I have to go to this restaurant and work for free and get berated all day uh, in order to learn how to do this technique? It is all visible for me to see on the internet, and then I can find my own way to make that dish and post it on the internet and then get a following, which will then pay to have my food. Why do I need to go the traditional route? Right? I joke all the time with my friends uh, that are either a little bit older than me or a little bit younger than me that I am in that weird generation. Right, I was born in 1991, so my earliest years from age four to age like eight or nine, I played outside like uh, the generation before me. And then I distinctly remember using AOL Instant Messenger to talk to my friends over dial-up internet when I was a teenager. So the internet found its way into my life early enough to where... I can confidently use it now, but I know what it was like before the internet. And I think there's a connection there with food, right? I did the traditional route of working for free in a Michelin-starred restaurant and then work your way up the brigade and then become a sous chef and manage a team going for international recognition. But at the same time, now I'm in that new generation, right, where I'm putting my food up on Instagram and I'm doing pop-ups and I'm using the power of the internet to scale what I do. So I think the real question is you should be asking yourself, Uh, with all these other factors that there are to think about, right? Market saturation, automation on the horizon with robotic work, and consumers with their tastes constantly changing, and sustainability becoming ever more important, I think you should ask yourself, how are you going to be irreplaceable? How are you going to create meaningful stuff that would be missed if it was gone? What problem are you going to try to solve? This comes in so many forms. I don't want you to feel like I'm suggesting a certain box to you, but One of you asked that I cover this restaurant called St. Peter from this guy, Josh Neeland, who is doing full-on seafood utilization at his restaurant in Australia. He's literally using the whole fish, not just the filet, but like the skin and the sperm sac and the bones, and not in the way of like, hey, fishmonger, can you send me four kilos of sperm sacs because I want to say I use the whole fish? No, it's not like that. He gets a giant turbo in, and then he says, let's use the whole entire thing. 
And that's pretty cool, right? That's pretty special. He's taking all this work that the generation before us did to forge the path, and then he's creating something special that can make an impact. And if there's one thing that I would wish for you in your career, it would be to find something like that, right? It would be to make an impact. It would. It, it's about self-awareness too, right? Like, I, I don't want you to be the person... There are certain people who are going to be on the covers of the magazines, right? But for every single woman that gets the cover of that magazine and gets the recognition, there's a team behind her that makes that stuff happen, right? And she needs rock stars for that team. And you could be one of those people, right? And you could also check all of those boxes. That's making an impact. That's being irreplaceable. So... I went as far, a little far away from the initial point of this piece, but I don't want you to see articles like this where it's like, it's really hard to stand out now because it's so easy to get good. And I don't want you to be discouraged and feel like it's a losing battle. I want you to keep learning. I want you to keep hustling and find that what is unique to you thing. And then when you find it, go all in on it. And I'm going to continue to cover these weird crossover stories and interview interesting people on the podcast. So maybe, just maybe, something strikes a chord with you and that helps you along your journey. That seafood restaurant, by the way, is linked up down below as well if you're interested in reading more about that. Eater published a piece called, quote, how restaurants get away with stealing millions from workers every year, end quote. And so we got to talk about that. It starts off by sharing the statistic that, quote, almost 84, 84% of full service restaurants that were investigated between 2010 and 2012 had violated labor standards, and those included wage and tip violations, end quote. And I think it's important to set the record straight on what wage theft is in the first place. It's not like your boss is sneaking into your locker when you're on the line and buying stuff through your debit card. It's more like things like uh, the article cites employee employers paying out less than minimum wage, paying employees the tipped wage for non-tipped work, aka paying a server $2.13 an hour for doing side work like polishing silverware or cleaning glasses, uh, refusing to provide overtime pay, and failing to give workers meal breaks, and of course, requiring employees to do off-the-clock work, which I think many of us have experienced in, in one point of our career or another. So the article goes on to talk about specifics, uh, things like the laws that are in place to protect from things like this happening, and then of course, the solutions, which which of the options, a standard, fair, minimum wage with no add-ons or tips is the one that is currently the most popular, but that gray area with the law, that's the most troublesome. A lot of us have probably been in situations where we're paid in cash under the table, at least when we start off, or like for a short period of time, or we say yes to a really low hourly rate because we know that it's going to get made up in tips, but then what happens when the door swings the other way, right? I'm a big fan of Seth Godin's view on tipping. He has a really good podcast episode where he takes a deep dive into tipping. I will link that up if I remember to do so, but it definitely changed my mind on the whole thing. And where I'm at right now, as far as my thoughts on this, is like, draw draw it in parallel to another business, right? Like, let's say that there's a local sweater knitting shop. And they're a small business. They're just trying to make ends meet. Their material cost is expensive. They got a dope location downtown to get more foot traffic. It takes time to knit these really high quality sweaters. And the service you get while you're shopping is really good. And then at checkout, you get asked to give a tip. Wouldn't that be kind of weird? Like, wouldn't you just rather they build it into the cost of the sweater? That's my question. Uh, my friend Bondwing shared a piece on that the Wall Street Journal ran this week saying something like, why should I tip you 20% for handing me a muffin? Right, referencing that experience that I'm sure a lot of us have had where you're at the cafe and they swing the iPad around and they ask you to 
leave a tip and you feel like a cheapo for not pressing the 20% button. But it's like, what did that person do to earn that tip? Isn't the point of a tip, traditionally speaking, used as a transaction for a job well done? right? Like you essentially just did your job. You gave me my coffee and you gave me my muffin. You didn't do anything on top of that. So why should I pay more? Especially here in Seattle where most baristas are already making between $14 and $20 an hour. Why do I need to tip on top of that? Because traditionally the tip is meant to make up that gap in wages. And of course, I can't speak to some of the other issues with like quote unquote wage theft. You folks know I was part of an organization back in Chicago that refused to pay overtime wages. It's like a rock and a hard place, right? You want the business to be successful and you know that labor is one of the biggest costs and you're sometimes willing to take a short-term gap in pay to make sure that the business can stay open. But at the same time, it's one of those reasons why I'm such a super strong, hard advocate for getting a contract with your employer. I know I already mentioned like the getting paid under the table stuff. That's fine if you can afford that, but just know that like that door swings the other way in that metaphor, right? So you need to be able to say to your employer, look, this is my salary. This is my dollars per hour wage. And if you're on salary, this is how many hours you agree to work per week or however you want to negotiate it and make sure that's within reason. And if you have that signed document, then you can literally and legally bring it up to them and say, this is what we agreed upon. I want to revisit the terms of my employment. And then the business can decide what those next steps are. And I hate to get all uh, official and businessy on you, but it's, it's real. We live in a world where things are way too transparent as a business to operate in a shady manner. And the rug gets shaken out too frequently with people. And the hucksters that are trying to operate in the dark, it doesn't work anymore. And I bring these stories up so you can, of course, protect yourself while you're an employee, but also to make sure that you see all these dark things that happen if you don't operate in a sustainable manner. It's not worth seeing any of you folks as part of a headline someday. So I want to make sure that you educate yourself on all the things so you can crush it in business if that is indeed your goal. Last up, industry style, we have direct answer. You folks send me a DM, and with your permission, I like to answer it in a way that might help the greater good. This question comes from underscore Mary Quite Contrary on Instagram. Uh, I have been asked, hey, Justin, I've been binge watching your videos, uh, blah, 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 blah. What is my opinion on culinary school versus staging Hella and working up from there, including traveling and learning from cookbooks, which is an amazing question because it directly correlates to one of the stories that we talked about today. So I, it, it, if you would have asked me this when I started, I would have told you probably something different, but I want to interject another opinion. Um, so I'm going to give you two hypothetical paths, right? If you go to culinary school, the education you're going to get is going to be very baseline, right? And the that is going to open up, though, a lot of professional connections that you can then leverage should you choose to do so. So I hate to paint with a broad brush because it's so contextual and it's so on an individual basis because I was someone who went to school with, you know, my graduating class was 85 other kids and I'd say probably 10% of them are still cooking. And so the argument of culinary school as the solution is, is not a valid argument because it varies based on the individual's ambitions and desires and motivations. So I would hate to say that culinary school is a good option if you think that that is going to lead to immediate success after school. 
If you have ambitions, culinary school can be a fantastic avenue to get your foot in the door, to get your feet wet at the same time, right? Where you get some real world experience, you start to work with teams, you uh, get kitchen knowledge that you wouldn't have been able to get otherwise because you would have spent a certain amount of time being a dishwasher or being a prep cook. That being said, on the other side, it is a financially irresponsible decision to make if you think that you are going to be able to recoup all those costs quickly. So it's a trade-off in both in both regards. As far as the other option, I haven't seen starting from zero a way that can sustainably work as far as like staging and reading a lot of cookbooks and traveling starting from zero right it makes it sound like from what i've been hearing from mary quite contrary in our conversations it's a starting from zero kind of thing it's not like uh i have experience and i'm starting from zero with another career, right? I try to reference this guy, Stephen Harris. Uh, he works in the UK. He has a restaurant called The Sportsman. He's insanely successful. And he was a history teacher until he was like in his 50s or something like that. And then he went and ate at all the three stars in Paris, read On Food and Cooking by Harold McGee, and just started playing around in the kitchen. And then he probably used like his 401k that he had from his previous job to fund whatever he did, or at least hold him down in the meantime. I don't think that it is sustainable to say that you can work for free and travel and eat at all these places. I mean, you could obviously say the flip side, like I would rather spend $40,000 doing that than giving it to a culinary school, but you can't take out a loan to do that all the time. So um, I don't want to dissuade you from doing one or the other. I did both right? Like it's that work harder or work harder, not smarter. What if you work hard and smart kind of thing? Like I did both and I like to think out like that I turned out pretty good, right? I went to school and I staged hella and I traveled a lot and I read a lot of cookbooks, right? Like how are you going to beat me if I'm the person that's willing to work that hard? So it seems like uh, you're not looking for a quick way out, which is the thing I would have dissuaded you from if you were asking this in a shady situation. But I know that there's a lot of factors that get weighed in, especially with things like culinary school and where you're going to do your education and how you're going to do your career. From there, I would of course want to know what your uh, ambitions were from there. Cause if you want to get a job at Google, or if you want to get a job at a high end hotel, a lot of those times people look at your accreditation before that. And they want to know, did you go to school? Do you have a bachelor's degree? And a lot of these people screen for that before they'll even ask you to sit down for an interview. So if those are your ambitions, of course you need to do culinary school first. Do I think that it's required? There's a reason that I didn't stay on for the other two years at CIA, right? Because I, Thomas Keller didn't do it. Ferran Adria didn't do it. Grant Atkins didn't do it. None of these guys that I admired had that extra schooling and they were still able to be successful because they surrounded themselves with people to take care of those sides of the business. So uh, I wish I had more context. I really hope this answers your question and I really hope that you, I wish you the best of luck in your journey because there's a lot of choices, but any time that I get the option of like one or the other, I ask, can both happen? And so I hope that helps. 
That was Direct Answer. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you want to find a way to get your questions answered and also have that dialogue to give me some more context, we can have a back and forth. I offer one-on-one coaching sessions and that's available at justincana.com slash coaching. And as a thank you for listening this far in the show, use the code end of the show, all one word, and you will get a sweet, sweet discount on your first booking. That's especially valuable because all the uh, mentor slots on Patreon are full. So I'm stacked with coaching at all times, which is great, but I would love to fit you in if you're interested in booking one. In our non-industry story of the week, I actually want to share a couple of podcast episodes that I've listened to that are other people's shows that I think are worth your time. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Some of them are industry-related, some are not. I will link them up so you can swing right into them after you listen to this. The first one is Tim Ferriss's interview he had with Nick Kikonis, of course, the co-owner of Alinea. If you aren't familiar with Talk, their reservation system, places like 11 Madison Park and French Laundry, and uh, I don't think Noma uses them. But anyways, a lot of really amazing restaurants in the world use talk, and they built it out as a scratching their own itch scenario. And it's funny because Tim gives a big thing in the beginning of the show where he's like, if you aren't into restaurants, you're still going to enjoy this show. Uh, but I'm like, I, I, like, I've been waiting for this interview forever. Please talk a lot about restaurants because I'm really interested in it. And he talks a bunch about philosophy and business, and it was a huge jolt of inspiration for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so definitely check that out if you haven't already. Some of you have already messaged me that you've listened to it and you enjoyed it, so that was great. Chase Jarvis had this guy named Michael Hebb on his podcast where he did a whole dinner series called Let's Talk About Death, and it's a really fascinating idea to think about. Sometimes I've had success with curating not just the food and the guest list, but the conversation at the table. And sometimes that can supersede the food and make for a really, really memorable experience if you share some really thought-provoking questions or ideas during the dinner. And that really made me think about hosting dinners in that way. So that provided a lot of marination time for me to kind of rethink how I can do a really fun pop-up in the future. Last up, I want to talk about Matt Diavella's show that he did last week. He had this guy on named James Clear and his new book called Atomic Habits. They talk about discipline and, of course, habits. So if you've been wanting to wake up earlier or exercise more or eat healthier or read more books, there are a ton of really, really amazing insights that I think would bring you some value uh, that are outside of the traditional things like set an alarm or give yourself positive reinforcement. There's like these things that they talk about that are really, really tactical, which for someone like me, where you've heard all of the stigmas before, uh, sometimes that can provide a unique solution that can uh, push you to the next level. So I listen to a stupid amount of podcasts every week while I'm driving or I'm at the gym, and these were my favorites, so I've listened to them, and I can I can vouch for them. They're, they're, they're legit, so if you give them a listen, I really, really hope you enjoy them. That'll do it for this week's show, episode 81. As per usual, if you have stories that you want covered next week, please shoot them to me on Twitter, hashtag the emulsion so I can find them. Let's take a quick peek at Instagram, see if I have any uh, questions. These laws are not affecting, uh, well, so the laws affecting staging are usually state to state, I would like to think. Uh, I know that, and sometimes they're even restaurant to restaurant, right? Like restaurants institute a policy that says we will not take stagiaires. So that's an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, that's, in it. someone brought up the fact of Maymo eyeing up a casual location. I would like to think that they would do that, but... I feel like they have they would have the same problem that Eleven Madison Park had, right? Eleven Madison Park called uh, tried to do made nice as their casual concept, but I don't know if that's doing successful or not. 
yes, getting jobs from Instagram. I am dedicated. I'm trying to work my face off. All right, that's that's going to do it for Instagram. Roll the outro. Thanks for listening to the Emulsion Podcast. I appreciate your ears more than you know. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com slash justincana. Other ways you can help out right now include giving this show a review on iTunes so more people can find it. I also love seeing you folks liking and commenting on the video if you listen that way, or even just share this episode with a friend. Now is normally why I would tell you that my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one, but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to, so I'm just going to get out of the out of the way here excuse excuse me